0: Hey everybody, Matthew here from MiniWargaming.com, and welcome to the next episode of The Wargaming Game Master, our podcast where we talk about all things narrative miniature wargaming. I've got Steve back here for episode number two. Hello. And we're going to talk about narrative campaigns. Now, this is going to be a subject that's going to come up in a lot of the episodes, and so we're going to break it down into different topics, because we have a lot of questions from our viewers about running narrative campaigns something that we've been doing for years now, and uh, have actually run ones outside of the videos as well. In other words, running campaigns for your store or your local gaming club, or even just at home. We want to address a lot of those things. But since one episode will hardly cover every topic related to that, we will cover it over several episodes. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to cover it over the next few episodes, because it just depends on what topics come up as I play more narrative scenarios in my regular battle reports, or as we finish narrative campaigns that we are filming, that might trigger different topics that we want to cover. So consider this part one in this series of how to run your own narrative campaigns to be continued throughout other episodes of the show, but not necessarily sequentially. I just want you to think that next week is going to be more narrative campaign stuff and maybe more talking about scenarios or talking about lore or who knows what so because we're not going to plan that many episodes out because we want to see what happens with your feedback and also the games that i play and my other shows as well between the narrative campaigns and my new battle report show all about narrative gaming links in the description below or above or beside somewhere or nowhere because you're listening to this on spotify <laughs> or you know what just go to miniwargaming.com, you'll figure it out And uh, we'd love to get your feedback, of course, for these shows of things that you'd like to see us cover as topics or maybe segments of the show that you'd like to see introduced or special guests that you'd like to see. Uh, You can go ahead and do that by leaving a comment here if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, wherever you happen to be watching it. If you're watching it somewhere that you can't leave a comment, feel free to just jump onto our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mini wargaming or more easily join our mini wargaming official Facebook group and join in the discussions there. And failing all of that, you can send me an email, at matthewatminiwargaming.com. I can't promise to reply to your email, but I will promise to read it and consider it for future topics and maybe even answer it on the show. So, Steve is here again. I decided I wanted Steve in this episode, uh, not just because he was available, <laughs> but that was his top qualification, <laughs> but really because we have filmed a lot of narrative campaigns together. It's true. And so uh, I think out of everybody here... I haven't filmed with anybody more than I have with Steve. And that's partly because literally how he got hired yep. was uh, I put out...
1: of Fayum. That's right. So do you remember how you got involved in of Fayum? You want me to tell the, uh, my stupid email story? Yeah. No. Yeah, tell your stupid email
0: story. Come on, the viewers want to hear it. No, Especially yeah. now that you just framed it as your stupid email story.
1: Is Sorry. that what you're getting with?
0: I don't know. I actually don't remember. You don't
1: remember? <laughs> don't remember.
0: All the, I, oh, I remember, from my, point, I remember from my point of view. I don't remember. Oh, I, from I know you your, okay.
1: So, um, I had recently discovered mini wargaming, not realizing I also live 15 minutes away, which was weird. But um, I used to have this thing. I used to have this rule that no matter what, I replied to every email I get because I thought it was rude not to. I can't keep up now, so sorry if I don't reply to your email. But um, you sent out an email, and I didn't realize it was to a bunch of. I didn't realize you had you kept track of everybody's email and sent out to everybody in the local area. You sent email saying, "Hey, would you like to be in a mini wargaming campaign?" <laughs> So I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I didn't like, know that. I, I, told, I told you this. That sounds familiar, but I don't remember that completely. years ago. But like, I, I don't. Like I, I I barely knew Matt. I think we played one game. I knew Owen at the time. Have we played a game? We played one game of okay. uh, Warmer Forty K, and it, was, it wasn't well because I didn't know how to play. Maybe I still don't. But um, <laughs> we played. One, I I barely knew you. Uh, we've had very minimal interaction. Um, I was really more in a fantasy, more fancy fantasy at the time, and he sent this email apparently to everybody in the area. And I'm like, um, no, I'm not. I don't know if I'm. I can't remember how I put it. But I'm like, I guess I could do it if you really need me to do it, or if you need someone in the area. I can't remember how it was, but like I, I remember. Oh now I want to look this up. You I find it that long ago. It. I don't know.
0: It would it been the same because, email address? Because,
1: right? because you, it, you, yeah, yeah, same email. Right. So you had employed. Keep, keep talking. You had implied something about the fact that it would require, um. Uh, flexible availability I'm like Maybe I told him about my job Because when he sent out the email um, I used to work seasonal I just got laid off I'm like Oh I have time to do this He must know this We must have talked about it And he said He's asking me this question So I'm like I guess I can But like I play Necrons I don't know if you really want that I'm pretty sure I said that too I don't know if you really want that In your campaign Which I didn't and I know that I know that <laughs> I don't know why I knew that Um and then I kind of like kind of left it like I, I'll I'll do it if you need me to. I felt, but like I wasn't really interested. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Part. And then um, um, then like oh, it was weeks. Later. It wasn't too. Was like two, it was more. It was like three weeks later. I got a, a follow up email being like, "Hey, you want to come in and do it?" I'm like, "Okay,
0: <laughs> heck yes." I'm trying to go back. You've been working here for over five years now. Yeah, so this would means. have been so seven years ago. 2014. Oh, seven years ago. Should be because because I, ah, I back was here top. for like a year. Why did you reload to the top? I was back in 2015, then it reloaded the top. Okay, uh, I was I don't here think for about
1: a year before I became an employee. I'm
0: gonna have to look that up because now I really want
1: to know. I don't know why you're bringing that up right now. I don't know why you're I talking.
0: just it was just it was just I just thought it would be interesting. Uh, so <laughs> from my point of view, I sent out this email to a bunch of people um, because we didn't have as many employees back then. So I was looking for a guest volunteer to come in. Yep. It was a heavy qualification to be available to come in several times over the course of a few weeks and and play. During and I only I only got two replies. You were one of them. And both cases, I didn't really like what I saw because, <laughs> well, the other person was a Chaos Space Marine player, I think it was. And I'm like, oh, no, I wanted to be the bad guy. Like, I wanted to be Tyranids versus something. So I was hoping it would be like an Imperial Guard player or a Space Marine player. That's fair. Or even Tau or something. You know, somebody that's yeah. really considered more on the good guy right. spectrum. And so when I was like, oh, okay, fine, oh, I, think, I think I'd think i rather do the Necrons, so yeah, sure, we'll get the Steve guy to come on in. And uh, so you came in, and so I'm like, okay, oh, well, then what can be the story? And the story was pretty straightforward, like it's, it's I'm like, what what kind of story can you tell with Necrons and Tyrannids Because they typically don't fight, and so... Yeah,
1: like it doesn't, narratively, narratively didn't make a lot of sense. Well, yeah, you,
0: But you can make it make sense, you can make anything <laughs> make sense. Uh, Going after I'm, I'm our like, metal biomass. Well, no, it's just we it was a shared food source of sorts that there was a Necron tomb world that was
1: on a planet like, already being devoured.
0: Yeah, <laughs> on a planet that's currently under attack by so the the Necrons are coming alive or coming awake while the Tyranids are attacking. And it just started off that way. So so that's yeah, you came in. So that's how that's how I met Steve. Apparently we may have played a game before that. I, I don't play two. Two. Okay, oh, two now. Okay. Two games.
1: I remember both games. Okay. They're, they're horrible.
0: Okay. I don't remember them at all. I'm sorry. Uh, wow, maybe. I don't feel special anymore. Nope, no, definitely wasn't. It's um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, a long
0: time ago, man. I don't remember who I played like a month ago. I know, I know, I know. So many people come in and I already have a bad memory as it is for faces and for names. But anyways, um, so yeah, that was our very first narrative campaign, Fate of Fe It was really straightforward. I, would, I actually did story times for it, but the story time was me sitting in front of the camera just saying, hey, here's what's going on. And it was as simple as that. So... So yeah, I don't remember why I asked that question.
1: I I think yeah. it's
0: because we were talking about how you've done a lot of narrative campaigns with us, and so how
1: I got involved in narrative yeah, campaigns. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then you were, and then Dave invited you back to do yep. one, and you painted up an Eldar army in like a month. Yep. Uh, we still have that Eldar army here. You sold it to us eventually. Ah, oh, yeah, we got these guys right here. If you're if you're watching and not listening, behind us we're flanked by the the awesome race knights. Some nights. quality
1: paint jobs. They are
0: quality paint jobs. Stop knocking yourself for. A super fast paint job that looks really good on camera, maybe not as impressive in person. <laughs> That's all my paint jobs, and maybe not even the first part about them being looking looking good on camera. So, so yeah. So when you came in as an absolute beginner of this, I, I maybe we're maybe we're diverging from the topic a bit, but now I'm actually more interested in this. Interesting. So you came in. and I have
1: a lot of clear memories about this campaign. Too. Yeah.
0: Well, this was this was one of your first experiences with really with Warhammer 40k overall because yes. you didn't play the game very much before that.
1: Well, here's the thing, the reason why I know we played two games before that is because those are the only two games I've ever played.
0: So you didn't so you just were kind of new to the so,
1: game. So uh, me 40k in that current it was sixth edition at the time. I was really more of a fantasy player and I hadn't had a 40k army in many years. Um it was because mini wargaming. But you gaming, had played
0: fantasy a lot. A lot. Okay, so, was, you, so you knew how to play miniature war games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in forty K years ago. Right.
1: But I hadn't really played 40k. Um, but like you guys were it seemed to be more interested in that. So I I found a deal of Necrons for like a really good price. Yeah, I bought them out just for the sole purpose of playing how wargaming. Not a campaign. I wasn't expecting a campaign. But yeah, that's how I got it. And then I came in for a game uh, with you twice. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was – I booked with you. I can't remember how that happened. But I didn't really like two very minimal oh, – oh, sorry. Let me correct that. It was one day, two games.
0: Oh, okay. So we got a couple games done.
1: Yeah, so I came in for one day of Warhammer 40K, two games. I think I mentioned that too. I barely played in that email I talked about. Uh, and then
0: I didn't have as many people to pick from, so yeah, you know. That's fair. That's
1: fair. <laughs> so yeah, and, and then like I, I'll, during the intro of either either the 40k games we played or that campaign, you had talked about how it, it's been many years. So <clears throat> excuse me, been many years since I've played Warmer 40k. But the idea of a campaign was just it was just too interesting to pass up, I guess, so you once came you in, got me in.
0: Yeah, once I got you in because you felt obligated to I because did. I emailed you, which means well, you're contractually obligated. <laughs> like, like,
1: <laughs> I don't know if I want to be the guy doing mini-war gaming's first campaign. I want to play the game.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so you came in. Uh, that was our very first narrative campaign. I had had the idea. I think Dave had pitched the idea to me many times to do it. And I just had, couldn't wrap my mind around doing it. And that's with the structure we have here. I get, I get that there is a bit of a, um, intimidation factor to running your own campaigns or narrative campaigns. And so I understand that, uh, even though our experience here obviously is different than what you might experience at your store. So you came in and we did the first couple episodes of the first few episodes. What, what was your first impression of the whole just playing a narrative campaign?
1: Okay. I actually remember a lot of my thoughts the very first mission. Okay. So you sent me this document, you wrote up a bunch of stuff through email and sent me the basic outlines of the game. Uh, the mission was like, you're, uh, you're just awakening and you're going to have less points. Like a st- uh, Steve is going to have less points than Matthew. I'm going to, I'm going to be playing down a few points. Um, prepare a list appropriate to just waking up from a tomb world or whatever. And you're, I think uh, you told me the points. I think it was 1,200, no, sorry, 700 to 1,200. Either way. I mean, remember you tell me these numbers and then I started thinking, okay, well, if I'm playing down points, I'm going to make a list that generates models to kick up on points, not thinking how to play narrative correctly, right? All right, of course. So I want spiders and um, – because I can make scarabs. Yeah. And then I wanted the the uh, ghost arc so I can regenerate my, my warriors. And then we get into the, the studio <clears> – <throat> And you're like, oh, you're bringing Ghost Stark, and you're doing the you're doing the math because you brought like chains, well, yeah, Gene, gene steelers, gene and, and they, oh. Gargoyles. coils. So I can't. I was using some of the, the early vehicle. early
0: formations, yeah. And this is old 40k yeah. where you can't hurt things that are too high in their armor value. So you have, to, you have
1: to charge, I believe, to do a glancing hit to the vehicle. And I don't recall if we if we changed the list or not. But I remember thinking at the time, oh, I made a mistake. I'm, I'm doing it wrong. I remember thinking, that I'm doing it wrong. I get it now. I didn't get it the night before when I made the email. But while I'm there in the studio, I'm like, oh, I get it. This is not what this is about. I'm trying to match play this game. or I'm right. trying to power game this narrative thing. And I don't recall. I can go back and check the video, actually. But I remember thinking I should change my list. And I don't know if we did or not. I, but think, if we, we, I think you had,
0: if I remember correctly, I think you had two Ghost and We dropped it down to one. Okay. That sounds familiar. I don't remember. All I remember is Gene Sealers popping out everywhere and attacking and your scarab swarms making their five up saves like crazy. Mm-hmm. And then realizing after the game that my Gene Sealer rending Claws were AP five. And so that oh, actually meant right. that I would ignore your five plus two right. saves. And yeah, you're right. Because the AP five never comes up in ca- the game. Yeah. It never comes up. See so forget that they're AP five because everybody's a four up save. Right. I could
1: scarabs had a five armor save.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, six up now. I don't remember like, do you remember even who won the first yes, game? Yes, I did. Okay. Um but I think that was, we both learned. Though I think we're both doing a narrative, maybe more I, so. That we was we.
0: my first narrative game ever.
1: We both learned that it is okay to look at the things and decide that we need to make change changes. up. The, ch- make, make changes to your list. Yeah. yeah. First Be, mission.
0: For, first. For, the, for the sake of the narrative. Yeah. We, I, I, it's interesting because that first campaign, like I remember so much and so little at the same time. I know. But uh, we made all sorts of mistakes and yet I remember it being awesome. And I remember the audience loving it because it was their first experience with watching a narrative campaign. I know we've done a lot since and I'm sure there's other channels that have done some too. But that was the first ever real narrative campaign on YouTube. And so it was was a new experience for everybody. So even though we made mistakes, like, it just, it's your first it's your only one you got so you don't have much of a well, choice
1: it wasn't easy to spot them back then there was no other, nothing to compare them to right
0: yeah and then I remember I played uh, my first few that was Snagabog's Greed was another one which was uh, Dave playing Blood Angels against my orc or, and I played orcs
1: I think that was the second campaign
0: I think that was the second one and then you yeah. played one with Dave was that the third was the one. Pr- yeah, Primogenitor's promise. promise and he had some pretty wacky scenarios in there because it was his first try at it But at the same time, some of them just worked out. And I learned a bit from watching him do some stranger scenarios because I was more sticking to the standard, um, you know, we're playing and here's here's some special deployment.
1: So so all – not all. The first bunch of missions were basically – adjusting the deployments and then adjusting the goals. Yeah. And then it wasn't until we went on the Hive ship where we you actually started to started customize. make a scenario. That one actually I didn't make up
0: totally. I remember really? there was actually a scenario about how to simulate going on a Hive ship and have this, have this objective. That wasn't totally... But
1: like, like wandering patrols?
0: Um, I don't remember all you, the details. I remember that patrols. final. I remember that final attack, thing, attack that you had to kill that thing that was 24 inches away. That I grabbed from another scenario. So I was I was well, cannibalizing scenarios. What I'm like saying crazy. back then,
1: you had you had patrols onto yeah. the table. You had um, these bio whatever thingamajigs we we'll call them that. That if I got too close, it would generate more yeah. guys. It was
0: you were inside the ship, so if you got too close to the egg patches, all of a sudden it,
1: it was just not a regular mission do oh, Yeah, and that was probably the most memorable for me.
0: Right. Well, because they all got, I think in that same mission, Kanum. Captured a Har, uh, not a Harospecs. A-
1: the one that the big mouth comes out. Oh, in. there's a Harospecs out by then? I yes. guess it was. Yes.
0: So yeah, you capture one of them. And he was the only survivor, and he threw his one-shot tachyon arrow and won the mission. No fudging whatsoever.
1: This all happened it, that's all That's like- actually what
0: happened. Um, and then he jumped in a basically like a tiered a, a version of an escape pod and shot, and, back, and down shot back down to the planet as the high ship blew up. And that's actually what. Damaged him and yeah. he was kind of became condemned. The, the, the very next
1: mission was basically a Zone Mortalis where he's he returning it. the information to Solbeck and the yeah. Civil War started. Yeah, and he, poke- he
0: Pokemon's the Harospecs. Yeah. He's like,
1: I choose you, Harospecs! Well, that was the thing we got caught on, remember? Yeah, remember? Us cheating, us fudging?
0: No, 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 that was a later it, one.
1: Nope, that was that episode. Hundred, nope, the 100% that was the episode. No, it was the, episode, nope, with it was the an episode with the Sister of Battle. Nope, it was that one. Oh, uh, because we, we at the end of the campaign, we even did a sit down and talk about what we learned about the campaign, which would be interesting if you go back and watch that. I don't know where it would be. Well,
0: world. most of the first few campaigns, we did a post campaign discussion.
1: It might be interesting to watch that and compare that to everything we're saying now. Yeah, actually, I might go watch that after. But we talked <laughs> about the fact that um, in that in that mission, the 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 the, the confrontation, uh, there was a moment where it was about to be like, "Oh, Sobek is dead now," It's right. just it. but we instead. Just change the dice, so he's gonna survive. Because we're gonna have Knump uh, turn the corner and throw the thing at him instead. We oh, changed so we it the narrative. We wanted the specs to the, show up. The, the outcome was natural. We just changed. Okay, this just happened. Let's just do it one more different, different way. Yeah. So that was we. we got caught because something about the way we deleted the clip. Or something. Yeah, we didn't delete the right
0: clip. Yeah, no, there was there, early on. Well, like, there, we didn't there was a couple change times. Change the narrative. Well, there, I mean, early on, there was a couple times where I fudged the dice rolls because I wanted to force the story a certain way. Now this is a totally different discussion. What I wanted to get into. Because there was the question of scripted versus non-scripted and expectations of the right. audience. It's where I really learned that the expectations of the audience is they did not want to see things predetermined if DICE were involved. If you want to predetermine something, you do it outside of the mission. You do it narratively. Yes. <laughs> and I learned that. And ever since then, there's been many times where I've been tempted. I'm like, oh, that's not how I want it to end. But I just got to let it end. It's funny. And we just let it go. And it creates what it creates
1: even now six seven years later there'll, there'll be times we're doing a campaign and somebody will say oh man we should just kind of uh force this stuff uh, fudge this dice and make it what we want Nope, no let it happen naturally And it always works out for the best exactly it always works out for the best you just let it happen naturally
0: exactly exactly so that's a whole other story talking about like story driven stuff and all that what i want <laughs> to cover today is getting started with uh making your own campaign making your own narrative campaign you so reply to yeah. your emails yes um yeah reply to emails and so so there's a few things i want to talk about first is type and we're going to create some definitions here not that we're not that we're inventing this but more just trying to boil it down to my experience of the different kinds of narrative campaigns there are and then also talk about the how you do your campaign progression and so and, and and i want to address the question that has come up a lot which is how long should a narrative campaign be? And the answer to that is actually different based on what type you are doing. So in my mind, there are a few different things to consider when you are deciding to do a narrative campaign. Now, so the first thing I want to address is the definition of narrative campaign. Uh, not to get too specific on this, but there is something to be said about understanding what you're getting into, because it, there's narrative campaigns and there are, from for my definition, when I'm talking to the other employees of Mini Wargaming, they know the difference when I say narrative campaign and just campaign. To me, a campaign is where there's a series of linked games. A narrative campaign is where there's a, is a very strong story led by a GM that continues as you see there. That is not a true definition. That's just our own oh, rhetoric, our own definitions that we say in-house just so we understand what we're talking about. So there are, but still, in my mind, there are, there are this this concept of a narrative campaign and just a regular like a league or a campaign. Like if you're playing a game of Gorkamorka or Blood Bowl or Kill Team or War Cry, and you just your your characters upgrade according to whether what it doesn't matter what campaign system you're using, the whether it's one built into the book or a homebrewed one, if it's um, your characters are progressing, but there's not really a story. There's more a setting. To me, that is still a narrative campaign because you're telling the story of your war band or your team. And so all, the only reason that matters, whether you agree with that or don't, it doesn't matter. I just want you to know that when we're talking about how to make narrative campaigns, that's including those kind of ones as well because to me, those are just as, um, they're just as, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not convincing, but uh, sorry. We're
1: defining our definitions right now. Yeah, what do mean to I, the word the,
0: the word has escaped me, but they they they're just as impactful on how much fun you have as having one that's story driven. So to me, the difference between a story driven one and the character driven one is the one uh, the character driven one is more the setting, and you follow the exploits of a war band or a team, like in Blood Bowl, for example, and the other one where it's story driven. Is you're trying to have some sort of progression in the story. So that'll follow your more traditional story progression of having a loose term sense of the kind of acts, act one, act two, act three, you know, where you you think back to the fate of fame, forget the, the fact that it was GM for a second. You know, there was the start was. Only the vanguard here it, so I was only using gene sealers and gargoyles and and lictors. The first things that would be on the planet, exactly. And then we had the progression of what would happen
1: next. And then you take the first things that would wake up in a tomb world, which would be the campy stuff, right? right. And We'd maybe
0: some warriors and some ghost arcs or whatever hat you happen to. And as we progress, we start to sprinkle in more elements. And then partway through, we had this. We had Kanum, who was just supposed to be. I basically said, Steve, I remember this. I'm like, I want to send an overlord on this mission that's not going to be Sobek. Um, so, just name him, and you're like, uh, Kanum, because it's another one of the Egyptian names or yeah. whatever. And so, like, all right, fine, this Kanum goes. He actually was the first priest of Sobek. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so, I didn't really care about this guy. We just threw him into the mission yep. so we could have Not Sobek go over there. Yep. And then he becomes so awesome that we're like, oh, we got to continue his story. So what would happen next? Well, Sobek keeps running away from every fight. Every fight. Every fight he would fail his leadership 10 and run away like a little punk. <laughs> and so Kanum's just like, you know, I've had enough of this. I've got a Haro Specs in my Test rack Vault. And I'm a little
1: kooky now because my wiring got br- burnt out a little bit on my descent through the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's funny because we, we talked about that briefly in the previous episode where it's these characters naturally, because the dice they kept rolling naturally became something. Exactly,
0: exactly. And while we'll talk more about characters in a different episode, it does, you do have to address this where now what we think about doing next is like, well, let's do a civil war it where imp- the two of them fight and then we'll see which one gets to continue to be the it overlord. It impacted
1: the, the narrative you pre-set up that you were going to walk me through, but things have changed by the way, models rack on the table. Right, and this does not require. Flexible. You have to be flexible. And
0: this does not require a games master. This can just be predetermined scenarios that you've talked about, um, and we'll get into that as well. And so then there was the, there was the civil war. Once the winner of the civil war was worked out, then we had the, kind of the final act where it was like apocalypse. We did an apocalypse game to finish the whole thing. Of just this massive tyranny.
1: Yeah, because everybody woke friend. up. We all like, we did a Civil War thing. One took charge and finished the fight. Exactly. It, was, it just made all, it, was, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was all very natural, very. But it was
0: a story progression. <laughs> it wasn't just like bring whatever you want each time. They, the, the story restricted the scenarios and it restricted the army. So, that's to me, those are two different things. Obviously, they can combine together. You could do a Gorkamorka campaign with a story. That would be fantastic. Might be a little difficult, but hey. if you can pull it off. That's yeah. great. The second thing that you have to think about, so, so that, that's the first question. Are you gonna, are you, when you're talking about doing a campaign, are you talking about doing a story-driven one or more a team-driven one? And they're both fun and they're both awesome. But they both have their advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, the story-driven one takes a bit more work, whereas the team ones can just, you just follow the rules that's in the book if that's what you want to do, and that's pretty straightforward. Whereas the other one, you have to see what happens and be like, oh, now I want to do this because of what happened. I think the story one has more of a chance of giving you really good memories yeah, but the other ones super fun as well. We've had so much fun playing Blood Bowl well, leagues and Gorkamorka leagues played, and kill team I've campaigns. Played, I
1: don't know how many times through Mordheim and Blood Bowl. And they're memorable. But like I don't remember every warband I ever played, every cool character like they do cool things. Yeah, you I mean, remember the
0: big boat that you brought? For yeah, the World yeah, I kind Wars. of remember You that. remember and kind of I the en- generalities. I enjoy those. I'm
1: not saying I don't like those. Those come from my favorite games. Like, Mordheim is one of my all-time favorite games. You but remember that have, you
0: loved playing it. You just yeah. don't say remember each detail.
1: But I don't have the same memories of Mordheim that I do of the narrative campaigns, the ones that we do at Mini Wargaming.
0: Right. Yeah, because yeah, they create more. It's just, it's just, it's just easier for your moments, brain to remember moments, yeah. when there's these moments that happen rather than generalities. So the second thing to think about is uh, whether it's going to be GM'd or non-GM'd. Now this is this is an unusual thing to think about in miniature wargaming because what the heck is a games master doing in mini work in miniature wargaming? Well, obviously we've shown if you've watched any of our narrative campaigns, you know the answer to that question. And often I find that people are asking me how to do that kind of thing, and that is that's actually challenging. So GM versus non-GM. So having a games master or not having a games master. So first off. If you're doing a campaign that is warband driven or team driven, you don't need a GM. You may you may like establish the referee or the, the, the you'd probably have the campaign captain or leader or whatever, and they can settle disputes. They can be the ones that kind of run the, your Facebook group or whatever to, to make sure everybody's getting their games in. all that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the person who basically has the godlike power that a games master does to determine exactly what's going to happen to everybody. And, um, and everybody has to just trust them and listen to them regardless of their experience level or whether they agree with what happened. So that one is interesting. And, and really that, that's, that's depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're doing a story driven one, I say, I would say it would work best if you have a games master and that is a tough role to fill. Because that's a lot of work on your hands. Just like if you're playing role-playing games, uh, I'll just say it, the person who has the most work to do is the is the games master, the dungeon master. There's no denying that. Yeah, it's, I don't see how anybody could argue that. Sure, a player can spend countless hours crafting characters and reading lore, and that's awesome, getting really good at the rules. Uh, but that's somewhat optional for a player. What is not optional for a dungeon master, at least it shouldn't be, is prep time. To, um, unless you're playing a totally random improv style and you're good at that and enjoy that, which I don't know if that would be the g- general case. I think most people enjoy more having had their GM prepare. Sure. <laughs> I'm just guessing that. <laughs> guessing that from my own experience at least. So there, there is a lot to be said about that. So that's the other thing I have to consider. The last thing you have to consider will affect how successful your campaign will be, and that is open versus closed. And this is a tough choice because it affects the format. An open campaign is where people can drop in and out at any time. A closed one is one where you have a set number of players at the beginning and you hope to have that same number (laughs) of players by the end. So let's talk about that because everything else is kind of secondary to the question of how do I determine how I can get players and how long I should run this for in order to keep their attention? Because I remember running narrative campaigns for our store back when we had a store, and that was tough. It was tough to run a campaign and keep people coming back and playing games because people lose interest or they get busy or whatever. Does that ruin your? If it ruins your campaign that somebody drops out, then you know that's a consideration of how you're going to do this. And everybody's going to have this challenge. You're, you're going to have your. Your times where you can find people easily who will be super dedicated, and other times where, you know, things, monkey wrenches will get thrown in and you got to be adaptable to that. So, open versus close is really a big discussion about that. So, I don't know. What, is, what are some of your thoughts on that, Steve? Open versus closed campaigns?
1: See, I've never run one. I don't have.
0: But you've played them. I've played You've played in both open and closed. Open being like the Warzone Apothesis that we ran. <sighs>
1: Are you asking which one do I prefer? I
0: don't know. Just some thoughts on it.
1: They're, they're, the pitfalls they're so, of one or the other. They're so very different that I, it, it's... it's Okay, so the closed ones are what we do more often here. It's easy for um, us to do closed ones because so,
0: everybody's paid.
1: As a guy who's, who's who who plays them... I, I show up and just play the game while I literally see um, either you or Luca, or sometimes Mitch, uh, do all the prep and all your pages of stuff and your story and what happens if you're all these pages, you do all the work. I just show up and play. I get to just experience the narrative. Um, the open one for me was a little differently because I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a paid employee working this league, but not a league, but more of a narrative thing. Um where again, I just had to show up and play, and then record numbers after the fact. Right. Whereas somebody else, again, that was you, who had to come up with um, the the what's what I'm looking for the the, the mid progression, uh, special event, and yes. all those things. That yeah, came we had up. story progression through so right? So my experience with narrative stuff has been ridiculously easy. I pretty much just show up and play.
0: Mm-hmm. What well, can you think of any advice you'd give to? somebody running a campaign in order to keep it more interesting to players like you? Yes.
1: There are mistakes I've seen all three of them make. Um, One is you had an idea in mind and for whatever reason, okay, so Matthew will have an idea. It wasn't you. I'm going to pick on you. That's fine. fine. So Matthew will have an idea in his head that something has to happen in a mission. And all of a sudden I'm starting to realize that I'm, whatever happened, dice decisions I'm making, I'm not making it happen. Um, and if you can't find a way to make that thing work, abandon it. Don't force it because it, it it didn't it doesn't work. It, that's happened very rarely, but it can break the immersion.
0: It's a player all of a sudden. It, it, and there's something to be said about the player helping, just like in a role-playing experience, the players work with the DM to create the story. But this is a little different because you're really running the players through more of a yeah. game than you would in a conventional Dragon session.
1: Another one I've seen a lot is which I don't think happens anymore, but it, it was, um, be flexible. It's okay to change whatever idea you had. It's okay to change it on the, on the fly. Cause you have to. Um, and the, I think the worst one though is when one of you gets nervous. It's like, Oh no, this is not working. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to table you guys and it's going to be a bad narrative. Don't do that. Don't second guess yourself. Run it through. Keep on. Keep on going. I, I think that one happens the most of you guys. And I, I, I believe my point of view is always the same. I'm like, just, it's going to be okay. Just let we're, it happen, we're, right? We're, we're, we're going to keep going. It won't be as bad as you're thinking. And it, you know what? It never has been.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially I, I'm thinking back to like the World Engine, for example, the one where as a GM and it was you and, <laughs> you and Dave playing. You were playing Necrons and Dave was playing uh, Space Marines. And it was based off the concept of a world engine, which is basically Necrons mobilizing a moon. It's a Death Star of sorts. And, um, or actually, they can mobilize a larger planet as well. Excuse me. And, and I, I, (laughs) this is more talking about scenario mistakes, but like I I planned it that the very first mission was him making Planetfall, and you beat him in that mission. Yep. And then I'm like, oh. Well,
1: how do I get back down there?
0: <laughs> yeah, and so this mission one B is a, another planet fall, which you managed to get in, and we got that wasn't six episodes by the way, that was four episodes. It was only four? Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure it was six. I
0: maybe mean, okay, maybe it was six, <laughs> but I remember it only being four because essentially no, all I, my plans.
1: Here's what you think you're forgetting. I think you blocked out all the rescues.
0: Yeah, all the rescues.
1: That's right. There's gonna be the episodes. <laughs> how oh. many times did you go back in there to rescue him
0: I don't know okay we give up I sw- hey, we're, now we're just gonna ram the ship into it and call it a day
1: <laughs> oh that kind of worked alright yay well, you, had, you, had a, you had an idea period victory but you didn't like, you, the Necrons just kept winning ridiculously well I captured his important characters you needed those important characters you they were all like, the cool characters in yeah. the
0: previous campaigns yeah. and all, oh, of yeah, that's right.
1: all of a sudden they, like, they we're talking Khrushchev and so they're all captured. You, you can't get them. You, you try to go rescue them. You failed. failed. You try a second rescue attempt scenario, that and it failed. failed. And then, like, at one point, it was a big, massive assault. You last-ditch effort. We're just going to assault this thing. And then, like, my, my obelisk is just tearing down uh, Terminators, the two-up save. Yeah. Just ripping them apart. And then it's like, I don't uh, – the Marines lost. Like, this is a clear one-sided campaign. What I mean is, like, it was a war, and the Marines lost early.
0: Which is and so I was just like I was kind of distraught because you have to remember that if you're trying to run a campaign, you're going to worry about your players having fun, but I got to worry about the players having fun
1: and all the all viewers yeah.
0: enjoying what they see, and so you know that that's I'm just like oh man, that was a bad campaign. It
1: didn't help that Dave and I were really competitive with each other at the time. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding.
0: Um, and yeah, that that, that definitely <laughs> added some stress. But I remember I was neither
1: like, one was giving the other one an inch.
0: No. Uh, And I remember I was so worried, and then we put the campaign out, and we loved it. And I, know, I know. and I was like what why do you love <laughs> it so, i was so excited
1: put this piece of crap out
0: but it it, it wasn't a crap production in a sense of production value it was more just the outcomes of the well, missions it's because you had pre you you thought what the story
1: was going to be exactly and
0: that's not the story you told and so the story was still an interesting one just not what i had yeah that's a
1: good point so whatever story you you're trying to tell you may not be able to tell that with your narrative campaign so run with it roll with it
0: and until you're really experienced and you've done a ton of them you might not even know what kind of story is feasible when you're playing miniature war games. True, like there's just certain things that are cool in a miniature war game that are not cool, and maybe in the way that you're thinking. Uh, and some of that comes down to scenario design. If I I I learned from the scenario mistakes I made, and we'll talk about that in a future episode about the the pitfalls of certain scenario designs, mm. such as the first episode Planet Fall. No, no, like what happens if they. Basically, you have to always ask the question, what happens if they lose this machine? There needs to be a continuation of the story. And I learned from that and moved on. But the other part was just, um, yeah, being willing to throw out your story idea. Yeah,
1: be be willing to throw it away. Or
0: seriously adapt it. Because if it's going to be memorable to the players, it's got to be what happens from their point of view, not what you thought was going to happen. Or or
1: else you just write a book, right? Go write the book. Yeah, go write a book.
0: Yeah, if you want to complete control of the story, this is not the format.
1: For yeah, because stuff on the table is going to affect the story. If you, don't, if you don't let the stuff on the table affect the story, then your players don't, are not going to get engaged.
0: Exactly. So there's this fine balance between that when you're doing a GM'd story-driven campaign is you want to control it, but you also have to be adaptable and you have to let your players have a say in their actions.
1: So as a GM of both D&D for me and narrative campaigns for me, I mean, we're giving, is it the same? Do you find a lot of it uh
0: Oh, d ds way easier. Is it easier? Oh, way easier. Yeah, GMing... You're, thinking, you're saying it's game.
1: easier to be a, a games master for Dungeons & Dragons than it is for our narrative campaigns. Absolutely. Wow. Why?
0: Because Dungeons & Dragons is more than just rolling dice. There's a lot of story to it. And I know that we can make a story for miniature wargaming, but the game in and of itself is a wargame. It's a game where you put models on the table, you roll dice to shoot each other and uh, punch each other in the that's face. What you're saying there is saying. no dice rolls for there's, interactions. There's like no... I want to persuade that guy to turn around and run away, make a persuasion check. No, I'll persuade him with my bolter instead. <laughs> like there isn't okay, yeah, all see, that social stuff. There's no stuff. role
1: play. Uh, yeah. Parts, and there's yeah. also
0: also there's no real structure in place by the designers of these games to play serious story driven narrative campaigns. They have all sorts of structure in place to play campaigns that are more warband-driven, but the serious story-driven ones, with one exception, and that is um, The Edge by Awakened Realms. I have never seen a company actually create a story-driven narrative campaign that's not just a reenactment of a story, where they're like uh, the Echoes of War missions, for example, for Warhammer 40K, where they have you replay a series of three or four missions of what happened, and you see who wins those Echoes of War missions based on who won the most games or some sort of point system. That's not what I'm talking about here. We're talking about one where the game that you played has a serious consequence and affect the story of the next game that you play, or at least to the overarching story at some point. And that is way harder because these games are not designed to do this, whereas Dungeons and Dragons is only designed yeah, to
1: do I'm playing one character and I'm talking to people, whereas I'm... Warhammer I'm playing a whole army
0: Exactly, and we're not talking that, that's we're awesome. already
1: on we already rolled initiative we're, we're past, yeah exactly <laughs> the
0: initiative has been rolled we're past the persuasion checks we're at the uh, and that's why like I've tried to incorporate some of those role playing elements into them and you can see some of that where um, we'll, I've been I've noticed with my squad based ones we'll switch to narrative yeah. mode where you can kind of just move your guys around how you or want or
1: also move real slowly for several turns <laughs> right exactly yeah
0: I'm going to move two inches two inches cast the psychic power cast the psychic power brace now I'm going to move, move, cast a second. That's an power. adaptation
1: like, you made after years of doing it, right?
0: Exactly. It's like, no, that's boring. Uh, and actually the very first time was the Watchers in Death campaign where I had it like fade into one guy and he comes around a corner and he sees a patrol and what do you want to do? I remember. It was like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. And that was really cool.
1: And that was closer to playing D&D. Exactly,
0: exactly. But <laughs> the games aren't designed to do that. So you, if you're going to do a Games Master driven, story driven campaign, prepare for a challenge. One that's very rewarding though, if you can pull it off. Now you might just think, well, why don't I just go play Dungeons and Dragons or Dark Heresy or Wrath and Glory rather than trying to sure. fit the square hole in, or the square peg into a round hole kind Cause of Because it's thing. fun. Because when you pull it, because one thing that D&D can't do is epic size right. stories. Like you, like, and what I mean by that is try playing a D&D game where you're part of an army. It is you and 10,000 other guys.
1: We did that. Yeah. Remember that one shot? Uh, Blue Claw Heresy? Luca jammed that one? It wasn't the same. Yes. Or storming the compound. There are
0: ways to do it, right? Where you kind of, the GM narrates the overall fight and then we just kind of focus on some of them. But it's hard to pull off. Whereas it's super easy to pull off in miniature wargaming. It's true. It's literally two armies <laughs> fighting each other and you've got a system in place to speed it up. You can do it all in three or four hours and that's a big game. You can do it even less time. And so, yeah, that, I, think that's, I think that's one of the points is that, that that kind of tells you the kind of stories that narr- uh, these narrative campaigns can tell. They can tell the epic army size. Now I know ironically I say that and yet we've played a lot of like the Death Watch size ones where it's just a squad of a few guys but that still is way faster paced combat well, the, so than plain D&D.
1: The squad based ones also, the, the stakes are different. All of a sudden you care about every character.
0: But it also plays faster than plain D&D. Yeah. Imagine oh, those yeah. five people each, each each powered by one player and you are fighting yeah, another no, twenty five guys. Yeah, What I meant guys. is
1: on, on the scale of like war, regular warhammer forty k. Like you don't you, if you do that on a massive scale. You don't care about every soldier. You exactly. have, to sa- you have to sacrifice some of them. And we do have <laughs>
0: miniature war games that are designed for the smaller scale, like Kill Team and Warcry. Yeah. or even you can just play forty k and just at a smaller scale, and it works to some degree with some modifications. So yeah, so it's it's a tough one. So it just it's the very first thing you have to decide is what kind you are going to do, and but once again, I think Steve made a good point. Because it also applies to what kind of campaign you're going to do. Rather than trying to come up with the idea and then forcing it on the players, find out what the players are interested in. We addressed this in the last uh, last episode. So I'm just going to recap it briefly. But the way I do that is I will walk out of my office and I'll start just talking about an idea that I have. And I see who's most excited. Or if anybody's excited. Sometimes not, nobody's excited. That ever happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, plenty of times. Oh, no. I've, I've, I've thrown out lots of ideas that... Everybody's like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Hey, well, okay, hold on. To be fair, you got to remember, sometimes certain times of day, certain mood people are in, you got to get pictures of this twice at least. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe.
0: And so you can do something similar where, and, and oh, let me finish that. It's like I'll say that and I'll see how interested everybody is or if a particular people are interested. Because to do a narrative campaign, story-driven GM, you need one GM and one player. That's it. You can, you can do it. If you're looking for more of the war band Or um, team-based you're looking at minimum four players i would say you need you need to have at least a couple matchups four players who can meet regularly or even larger group if you're going to be more irregular and so the, the what you might try doing is talking to your friends about some ideas and see the level of interest that it creates and then try it and see where it goes so the question then comes up how long should these campaigns be and i I'm going to turn once again to you, Steve. I know you're not the one that organizes them, yep. but you've played mm-hmm. enough of them. And I know that we have our kind of standard 12-episode length, but when you think about the stories, when you think of other campaigns you've done, like Kill Team campaigns or Gorker campaigns, yep. do you think that there's a standard length that would be best? Or do you just... What, 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 so how would you determine? That's interesting,
1: because um, I think happens in every campaign we've ever done. Uh, We get to what episode eight or whatever, and one of us will say, oh, I think it's episode eight, and then I'll go, well, we're on eight already. Right. Because it it just – the first two-thirds of it goes like that. I'm talking – I'm going to talk about the 12-episode thing that we typically do. Right. Um, If you were to push past the 12, I think you might start to lose interest in your characters, your story. I think 12 is our sweet number. Whether I don't know why you picked 12 in the first place. Do you remember uh, I don't why? remember. I think it's a sweet number. I think well, I just acted. I,
0: I was like, well, I wanted six weeks of content.
1: I think you're looking at 10 episodes you want to aim for. So for we say, we say episodes. To, obviously, we're recording oh, we'll see, them. Yeah, sorry. 10, 10 sessions.
0: Or not 10 even games. 10. It doesn't have to be 10 sessions because you might be able to get a couple games done in a session. So what you're because well, you I, th- I think if you're doing it ten weeks, that would be too long.
1: You want you want you want to give your players enough growth with their characters that they're there, you see the progression of them, but you don't want them to get bored of them either.
0: Yeah. Now, ironically, having played a bunch of other campaigns like Gorka Morka, Kill Team, Blood Bowl, this number seems to be kind of the magic number. And so what I would suggest is that you play a uh, minimum eight games per person, upwards of twelve. And and depending on the gaming system that you're doing, that'll dictate how long the campaign is. For example, Gorka Morka, you could play three games in an evening. And so when you look at that, say, well, we'll play for four weeks. Everybody meet on every Wednesday for four weeks. That's quick. It's, it's fast enough that people will hopefully not lose interest. If they commit ahead of time, then you hopefully don't lose any. Games like, if you're doing the non-story driven campaigns, then losing a player here or there, as long as you have a big enough group, isn't... Devastating, it is it's okay. And your characters progress enough that you see this progression and you get to do some cool stuff, but you don't play for so long that it kind of gets cumbersome. Because games like Gorkamorka, once you've spent enough money and your team gets really big, then it starts to actually play too slowly. Mm-hmm. And I know I keep talking about Gorkamorka. Like oh, there's so many different games. And this is not even just games workshop specific games. Uh, I've played a narrative campaign with Dave a couple times, but this is not a test, a post-apocalyptic game. That one has a built-in campaign system that I borrowed from and then turned it into a story driven one and, and I actually had it be a mapped almost a map based where there's like they're traveling somewhere.
1: You found that ten ish number of
0: It was still the same. Yeah. It was still the same number of episodes. It was also my interest level too. I after ten to twelve episodes, I no longer want to do it. Like I find that usually by episodes eight to ten, I'm looking forward to ending so I can do something else.
1: Well, I don't think we've ever gotten past episode 8 to 10 where we already not talking about the next campaign idea. We never do for the first six or so. I don't know because you're too busy
0: trying to get those done and you haven't moved on. You haven't seen how it's going to end up. So you're just kind of wondering. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. Right right around that point where you start to see where the story's going. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then then the the end of your narrative, the end of your story is in sight. You may not know exactly how it's going to be, but that's right at the point where you pretty much know where this is going. Exactly and how it's going to end, and that's that's, that's
0: storytelling. As much as we may not follow the perfect story patterns that you learn at school or the act one, two, and three thing, there is still kind of that natural. We've watched you watch so many movies and read so many books that you have, for the most part, a natural storytelling intuition. But that act one, that two, and are, three
1: is for somebody watching, right? Like yes. it's well, you're you're it's what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little different. Yeah, like you
0: have your build up at first of you know introducing the characters and what's going on. Um, act two is where it's like the more meaty part and then act three works Stakes towards, yeah it works towards the climax and converging of goals and all that kind of stuff so let's jump into that so so hopefully that answers any question about length i would stay away from anything that's longer than six weeks um unless it's open if it's open and i waited it like when i say open let, let me give you an example warzone hypothesis was a good example of an open campaign we had planets mapped out using the mighty empire tiles which are these hexagonal tiles that you can take over and essentially um, there was four teams it was chaos tyranids imperium and tau i don't remember Um, whatever it was Uh, there's there's four teams and there was four team captains which was the paid employees but let's forget about even having captains essentially when you come in you represent a team and so you can play a game or you can play 10 games and you just and when you play the game then you take over the territory then you can leave because the next person comes in and the previous games played by that team will influence yours because you look at it and say well what did the imperium control oh we control two manufacturers, but you only control one that means i get this advantage oh but you control three of the comm stations and i only control one which means you get this advantage and so on and so forth and that worked really well for an open campaign it had its glitches but i don't think it had anything to do with the fact that it was open i think it was some other things that we ran into
1: don't give anybody more points.
0: Or if they are, it's just a small number. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's very minor. Um, but forgetting all of that, it, that, that was a way to do an open campaign. And so, how long,
1: we, how long did we run that for? Do you recall? It was like six to eight weeks. Isn't that long?
0: Yeah. Now, what I just said, you might think that's, oh, that doesn't sound long, but we're doing it every day for six to eight weeks. It was a lot. It was like 70 or 80 episodes. It was a lot. I think it was more than
1: that, sir. It was like 100.
0: <laughs> I don't remember. It was a lot of battle reports. And there and the, were just regular match play battle reports, but they all contributed with their own little special rules to the overarching story. And there was like, part way through, I would have special missions happen, and you know those like, are a lot of work though. Yeah, they there was a lot of work, but at the same time, it allowed for that flexibility of people could drop in and play and then leave yeah. and not be part of it. Uh, you can do that with things like Blood Bowl or Gorkamorka or Kill Team or Warcry. the The only challenge you're going to come across is if somebody's played a few games, and the other person's only played one then they'll have more upgrades. Now in games like Gorkamorka, and Blood Bowl and the old Necromunda, they had ways to mitigate that. It wasn't perfect, but it was ways to do it. And as long as you understood that there could be a handicap, that you're a new team against an older team, and that's fine because no matter what happens, you get some experience and you get to build your team and earn some money. Yep. And they even had ways that you, like Gorkamorka, Blood Bowl, old Necromunda had ways that after you got to so high, you actually had to retire your team and start a new one. So they're kind of designed to have that open um feature to them they
1: make it a mech town and they retire
0: yeah exactly and so you can do that um, and it'll have its advantages and disadvantages and you just have to basically do what sounds fun to you and to the others that you are going to be organizing this campaign with and be just be ready to adapt abandon restart whatever happens to be and if you're lucky if you have the right player or the right group of players you'll have a lot of fun Just like running a role-playing game, you're not always going to have fun. You're not always going to find the right group of players. But part of that is going to be you. So in the last little bit, let's talk about campaign type. We've got about 10, 15 minutes left. So I think that'll be enough time for us to discuss different kinds of campaigns. Now, we've already talked about GM versus not GM, story versus team-driven or warband-driven, open versus closed. So now in my mind... There's a few different ways that you can have campaign progression. And I'm not talking about upgrades to your guys. I'm talking about how do you determine what the next mission is going to be. So there's three that I've written down. And if you can think of any more, just chime in. Mm-hmm. There's map-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a few of those. on Apothes was map-based. Yep. It doesn't have to be complicated, though. Like uh, We played Firestorm, Age of Sigmar Firestorm, and that was a map-based one. The idea behind map-based is just what it sounds like. There's a map either hand-drawn, digitally created, using Mighty Empire tiles, doesn't matter. And it represents territories. There may or may not be advantages to holding territories. It might just be a a, a fancy-looking score tracker. And that's okay, too, because just by having a map, I almost guarantee you will generate more interest.
1: 100%.
0: Yes. (laughs) But it has its own disadvantages, because if you start to try to keep track of where people are then it can create some difficulties and like you know if for example if two players want to play but their territories are nowhere near each other then how do you handle that you've got to come up with whether you even allow them to fight and if you do
1: rum gates or the warp
0: right right or you just you know the map shows their territories not where their armies are and so there's different ways you can handle that there's also tree-based campaigns and these uh by tree i mean like you play a mission and then if player a wins you do this mission if player b wins you do this mission and then the other one would be more free-flowing, which is just the GM makes it up as you go along. Or it's like a Blood Bowl League or Corkamorca, where you just you roll a random scenario each time. A lot of them have that kind of mechanic in place because it's easy. So it's interesting to see. And there's, there, maybe there's a fourth one, which is a... I, I haven't played this one yet, and I want to try it out because it seems so strange to me, and that is Warcry has one built in where everybody chooses their campaign path they kind of do it independent of everybody else. So whenever you win a mission, you progress on this campaign path. And when you get to certain points, you get an artifact. You get to this point, you get some minor artifacts. You get to this point, you get...
1: Can you affect another player's path? Just by...
0: You beat them, so they're not allowed to progress. That's it, eh? That's it. And so you have your own goals. They have their own goals. And that way... And it, they actually even say you can jump in and out and play whenever you want. You could bring your Warcry Warband to a brand new campaign, and yours is already, like, halfway through, and... It's strange because I'm like, I get what they're doing. They're trying to make it so that it's flexible and stuff, but there's there this is isn't
1: a, a single player game though. It's dis, there's a disadvantage
0: to too much flexibility because that means that you're going to lose some of that immersion right. and that interaction as well. So that's maybe that's a fourth type. I'm not sure. That's not going to be perfect, too. Can you think of any other types? Did I miss <coughs> anything? So map map based, a tree system. We did we did a tree system a bit in Fate of Fame. I don't um, think so. Free flowing, which is a lot of our campaigns.
1: Well, because free-flowing covers almost all your possibilities that aren't covered under map training. Yeah, well,
0: if (laughs) we could break some out of free-flowing, that would be good. If there's, like, specific ones that you've noticed.
1: (sighs) Yeah. See, I, I think I, I think. map campaigns are my—they're. My, they're, I think they're my favorite. I've done way more of the, I guess, free flowing ones. But I just keep, my mind keeps getting stuck on the map campaigns. I think. What do you
0: love so much about map campaigns? I don't know. It's just why, the map?
1: Why, Yeah. Why do we? Why do? Why does Luca get super excited? when We talk about Apothis. Why do? Why do we more people come in and sign up for that thing than anything else we've ever done here. Why do people love that? What's the visual? We to th- see, yeah. see that scoreboard on the wall. Like I want to put more green flags up there. I
0: want to influence
1: that. That's it. That's it's exactly concrete,
0: it. whereas everything else we do is more abstract.
1: I, th- th- that could be exactly it. We have, to, we have to visually see the outcome of our game that's going to sit on a board until somebody affects what we just did. Right. That could be, That could be just it.
0: Yeah. So I think that's a tip right there. If you want to generate more interest... Having a map, Think even up. if there are so few rules that interact with the map and it's just a scoreboard of sorts where you have a map and there's all sorts of territories and it doesn't really matter how many territories you have except the winner is the one with the most territories at the end or something else.
1: Team X has all the rain flags. Look at their winning. Like, yeah. People want to see that.
0: Yeah. And it, and it looks cool if you have a place in your store where you can post it or if it's digital, which is an easy thing to, well, not easy, but easy enough thing to do. Something for, that you
1: can walk into the store and be reminded about that campaign or I haven't joined that yet. Maybe should I should do that. Yeah, exactly. The visual has many good aspects to it.
0: Yeah. It, like I said, it has its disadvantages. One, it can kill the kind of the free-flowing abstract storytelling that you might want to pull you off.
1: You could you could lose some control. You could.
0: Yeah. Like, for example, what if I all of a sudden... Because some people ask, well, can you do campaigns that span multiple games? Like, for example... Kill Team with Warhammer 40k, with Apocalypse, with Aeronautica Imperialis, with uh, Death to Side Canicus.
1: You could do anything.
0: And Battlefield Gothic. Absolutely. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but I think it, it's exciting to talk about. Yep. And so we'll, we'll leave that for another episode. But um, essentially, if you're playing it where you have these grand armies moving around and taking territories, but then somebody wants to play the Kill Team game in there, does that Kill Team game really take over an entire territory? Or did that air battle take it? What if we want to play Battlefield Gothic? Like, is there? A, are you going to start creating planets with void between? Sure. Okay, that sounds cool. So, but then all of a sudden, so what effect does winning this void battle have on the planets? And make sure you. make sure you don't unbalance it too much because if, especially if it's a multiplayer campaign, balance is something you need to consider.
1: If, if you make a map and you start dividing up the territories, one territory is half water or all mountains. That does that affect, matter? That can affect your scenario. Uh, Is that more work you have to do? I think no matter which one you picked, which one you decide to go with, um, there's going to be a lot of work. And if you're going to – probably the map one is probably the most amount of work. But whichever one you pick, you have to to understand you're taking on a a great deal of work. Yeah, whether it's a games
0: master or whether you're just a a campaign organizer, it's going to be a lot of
1: work. So, yeah, yeah, you you got to decide whether you want to do it before you even pick your first type.
0: So that leads me to my very last tip that I want to leave you with. And that is, if you're going to run your very first campaign ever, or if you've been having a hard time getting one going, then the answer to all the questions is the simplest answer, which is the simplest answer. Try to keep it as simple as possible. For your first campaign, I you, you may have these visions of grandeur of all these cool things that you want to do. But I can tell you right now, the more depth and detail you put into your first campaign, the greater your chance of failure is going to be, because that means it's if you're new to this, that means all you have so many different ways you can fail. Whereas if you start with something simple, whatever that is, it can be a simple map with simple rules where we're just going to play some match play games together. But you kind of sign up for it and you have a certain army, and there's not going to be any upgrades, but we're going to keep track of winners, and a winner gets to take over the territory of the loser, and we just kind of it's just that's it. That's all we do, and that you get to see this progression. That's a very that would be fun. There's a funness to that. We roll a random match play scenario. Maybe we'll have an apocalypse game at the end. Maybe not. And you just you just play and you try to kind of tell a bit of a story even though it's kind of loose and not very specific.
1: It's got to excite you as well. Yes. You ha- you have to be excited about it. When you go to recruit people, if you're like, "Well, I got this idea. We're going to have probably run a bunch of games on, on maybe Thursday nights, no, maybe Friday nights and you're going to play a couple of games. But I think okay, so I got this idea and we're going to play you start describing what your your scenario is going to be like, what your campaign is going to do. It's completely different. Like the more excited Matthew is about an idea or a campaign, the higher the level of excitement is for everybody else. Yeah. And you don't bring the energy, we're not going to we're not going to match it.
0: Exactly. So that yeah, that's the other thing too. So keep it simple, but also make sure that you're excited for it. So if if, if making it too simple makes you stop being excited, well then add exactly. enough elements until you are excited again. And the thing is, you can always add elements. Yeah. So go in, say, here's the basic concept of what I want to do. Find a few interested people and, and have some fun. And the nice thing is, going back again, you can do a simple GM-style campaign too. You only need one other person. A lot of other narrative campaigns that I do now is me and one person.
1: And they work. No harm in start with one person as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah, find one person who's interested, who you think you'd have fun playing with. Because remember, you need to have fun too. That's kind of the point. And, and do one and then they can spread the word about how yeah. fun it was and then you might get a couple other people that are like hey we want to play too and they're like okay let's have GM and three players so the GM can play NPCs or he can just pit player against player and just be the adjudicator there's so many ways to do it and, there, and we've barely scratched the surface we've done a couple dozen three dozen narrative campaigns in total and that's that's barely scratched the surface there's so much more to learn so many new things that we learn each time that there there's just so many ways to have fun with this.
1: I'm sure you learn something every campaign, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And there's still many things I want to try out. Like the multi-game campaign where there's the void spaces for Battlefield Gotham. We've been talking about that one for a long time I know. It's 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 the uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? It's the unicorn of campaigns. If you can pull that one off, it can create such an interesting Is that your thing is
1: it's so scary that we're just too afraid to try
0: I, it's more overwhelming yeah. because uh, well, you have to figure out you, you have to figure out the system. See, when I do the ones that we do, it's it's actually rules wise is really easy. The story is harder, but the rules are really easy because I can just kind of make it up as I go along. I GM it right. I plop down a certain number of guys. Once again, this is a topic for another show because I'm getting into some other stuff. But in in essence, it's easy for me because I just improvise it like a GM does in a role playing session. And so, but that takes some experience to know what to improvise, what to put on the table. So just start doing it. Just do it. Yeah. Find one person and do it. That's the best piece of advice. Just do it. Just do it. Even if it's not a GM run campaign and it's just going to be a kill team campaign, find one person. If you can find one person who's interested, run your kill team campaign. It won't be as diverse or as interesting as four or six or eight people because you'll just be playing against the same team over and over again. But hey, you'll have done a campaign. You'll have figured out some of the weird quirks of it and be ready for your next experience. So Yeah okay yeah okay we'd love to hear your feedback your thoughts on what we've talked about here as well as any questions you have about this topic or on other topics related to narrative campaigns or narrative miniature wargaming in general so make sure you leave that in the comments below whether you are watching this on youtube or facebook or the vault or wherever else if you're not doing any of those make sure just head over to our facebook group at mini wargaming official facebook group look that up or if all that fails send me an email matthew at mini i'd love to hear from you might not reply, but I might I'll probably use it in a future show. At least have it influence the topics that we'll cover. And stay tuned for more narrative campaigns and narrative battle reports as we really start to expand more into that area on mini Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Happy wargaming.